I want to read, would you stay standing? I want to read James chapter 1 verse 17. This verse really defines kind of what direction we're going today. Um, someone say, what it means to be blessed. Next three weeks, this week, the next two weeks from now, what it means to be blessed. Come on, let's say it again. What it means to be blessed. I think uh, a lot of us in our house, uh, you know, we have the word blessed all over our house or in our furniture or Christian, you know, Christianese as they say, how you doing? It's like, oh, I'm blessed, you know. Holy Spirit really impressed in my heart to talk about what it really means to be blessed. What's that really mean? And I want to read James chapter 1 verse 17. If you have a Bible, you can read it. If, you have, if your Bible glows, you can read it. If you didn't bring a Bible, I've got one behind me. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. I'm going to say it again because this is so good. If you're new in the faith, the book of James is basically the karate chop of all books in the New Testament. If, you, if that person that you're like, you love sermons that just slay, you know, and, and that's lingo for young adults. They were like, oh, pastor, you really slayed us tonight. You really just just did that. If you're that person, you, you need very strong correction from God. Man, book of James is your area. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. God, speak to us today. Everyone says, amen. Can you bump somebody on the fist as you sit down? Come on. Or elbow. I don't know what you guys are into. Amen. You can take a seat. Some people are like, amen, just kick my foot, all right? We're going to keep it right there. We're going to keep it right there. Uh, my first idea today is that all good things come from God. That's what James is really telling us, that all good things come from God. Is anyone taking notes this morning? I got a bunch of notes. Just make me feel good if you take notes, okay? Just make me feel good. Notes are not for Sundays. Notes are for Tuesdays. Notes are for Wednesdays, for Thursdays. Notes are for Fridays, come on. Notes is not for right now, this is for later on. All good things come from God. In a moment, would you just like think of all good and perfect things like we read in James? Come from above. It comes from God. All good things. All good things. What, what a verse. I've got some good things in my life. But man, i got to remind myself that those good things come from God. It may have been a man or woman that have given me this, or it may have been a, a coworker or a friend that have given me something, or someone close to me. But I got to remind myself that all good things come from God, so that means the people He uses are simply vessels of what He's doing. All good things come from above. It's like salvation, right? Salvation. Is anybody here saved? Anybody believe in Jesus? Come on, faith in Jesus. Cool. If you haven't made that decision, we'll do that. We'll fix that in around 20 minutes. Please give me 20 minutes. Um, and, and I love salvation because salvation is a gift from God. Amen? A amen? Salvation is a gift from God. So God gives us salvation. But what I love about salvation is that it doesn't just stay with me. It's actually supposed to work itself out in my life. It's actually, it's actually supposed to flow through me. That's why at church... We always ask you to be light in the middle of darkness and salt in a tasteless world. Because it's not only about receiving salvation, but it's also about spreading the good news to your neighborhood, to your job, to your co-workers, to your friends and family that don't know Jesus. Jesus, before he descends, before he leaves, he's already resurrected. He gives something called 
the Great Commission. You can read it in Matthew chapter 28 on your own time. But basically what he says is one, uh, it's, a, it's one word, two letters. He says go. Go. You have me. You, you have my authority. But now I command you to take the gift you've been given and go spread it out into the world. So like good things, salvation is not only supposed to stay with me, it's supposed to get worked out. I have this example here, and I got a $1 bill, and um, I'm asking Brad, Brad, do you want a dollar? Come on, somebody. Brad got called on today, right? He's doing something right. God's got something over his life. So, and here's the thing, and, and I'm going to pick on you. So, we are, like, culture today thinks the person who receives is blessed. And this is what you have to get into your heart really today. The Holy Spirit impressed on me, uh, John, John talk, talk to them about what it means to really be blessed. Teach on this because what we think today is that the blessed one is the one who receives. And that is true. I believe that. Anybody else believe that? If I had a dollar to give everybody, when you left today, wouldn't you say, I'm blessed, amen? Okay, if it was 100, would you say I'm blessed? All right, we got way better things to do with our finances. Anyways, um, so we think he's the blessed one because he's received. Take the dollar. That's my only dollar, bro. So he's got it. He's the blessed one. That's what we say, right? We say, oh, I'm blessed now. I'm blessed because I received. I'm blessed because I received. But God wanted to speak to you this morning. Get this in your heart. That is not only... A blessing to receive, but it's also a blessing to give. Because here's the truth. If I wasn't first given, he would have never had an opportunity to be blessed. If I didn't first receive, this ain't mine, then I would have never been able to give to him. And why am I talking about this? My, my first idea really is to be blessed is not only receiving, but it's also being. And you probably thought I was going to say giving, but today is not only about your money. It's not only about your finances. To be blessed is not only receiving, but it's also being a blessing. Being a blessing. We celebrated six years last week, and, and if you weren't here... Uh, Man, we turned up, but just keep coming, all right? We'll have another one in a year. Um, six years. If you didn't know the story, our church started with 38 people in my father's living room. Uh, Pre-COVID, that was pretty cool, right? Like now it's like, what? How many people? 38. And in six years, we actually celebrated last, last week uh, that since we started, since the 38, six years later... 5,655 people have said yes to Jesus for the first time. Yeah, you can get excited about that. That's really awesome. God gets all the glory. Understanding that we've been given, like 38, we're given salvation. But man, we had a stirring in our hearts. Because man, we, 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 we said to ourselves, let's be the kind of church that isn't only concerned about what's coming in. But let's be as focused on what we're doing out. Here's the thing. All of us here, we come from a community. Some of us come from Kissimmee, uh, Orlando, South Orlando, Lake Nona, St. Cloud. Some Davenport's in the house. Shout out Davenport. Anybody Davenport in the house? 
All right, get, there we go. Davenport campus coming soon, all right? Praying about that. Praying for your gas. Um, anyways, got some people from Poinciana, praying for Poinciana. They call it Unpleasant Hill Road, if you didn't know that. So, awesome, we're laughing at jokes, let's go. So whatever community you come from, you come to this house. And man, I got to let you know, you bless this house. I want to take a quick moment to pivot and to thank all of you that so into this house, your life, your gifts, your money, your, your time. I want to just say thank you. So not only is this church consumed with people from communities that come from all over Central Florida and come and bless this house and pour the life into here. But church, like we're not, this type of church, our new birth, we're not only concerned about those that come and stay, but we're as concerned of those that are actually going out. It's not only about what's happening here. It's about what we're doing there. Because, friends, like, we can all be consumed with just receiving people on Sundays. But, man, we're as concerned with pouring back out into the same communities that are coming in. We're just as concerned. I don't know if you know this, but every, every other Monday we do a food pantry uh, at our Hope Center. And it's, the, it's, it's, very, it's like so beautiful to see parked cars, lines and lines, hundreds of families every single second Monday of the month. They, they line up and they get around six bags of groceries. I mean, I'll be, I'll be passing them back sometimes. I'll be like, man, that's some good stuff right there. I'm about to jump in the back of the line. You want to know how much they paid for those bags? All that money? You want to know how much they paid for it? zero. You paid for it. You tonight, today, you paid for it with your giving and your seeds. You pay for hundreds of families to be fed twice a month. So like we believe in like investing in the house, right? So like we have state-of-the-art facility and I don't know about you, but I love this house. I'm glad to be home. If you didn't know, we were portable for five years, lost in the wilderness, but we made it to the promised land. Amen. Setting up, tearing down, and now we just, you know, show up and leave. It's, it's a blessing. So it takes money to run these services, but we don't just take the money and the resources and focus here. We actually go out into the community. It's not only about getting, oops, and pouring, but about going and giving. We have a Poinciana campus meeting right now. They're turning up in Poinciana with our New Birth logo out there. And they're like, welcome to New Birth. We got a church, uh, one of our campuses in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. So you ever go away for a weekend? I can't make it to church. Yes, you can. New Birth, Newport, Ritchie. Pastor John the Hidalgo, he's doing an amazing job. We, we got churches. If you didn't know, we oversee 30 churches. So like. Three campuses. We also have a missions campus in Venezuela. So you know how much they pay to get fed out in Venezuela every week? Every Sunday we feed a whole village. You know how much they pay? Zero. You paid for it. You paid for that. And we got 30 churches we oversee. We give graphics. We give uh, uh, sign-up sheets. We give video. We take our logo off. We say, hey, take our logo off. Put your logo on. 
We take all of our resources at church. I don't know about you, but like churches, like systems and structures is the reason why churches grow and get bigger. And we give that all away. We give that all away. Why? Because we're not only concerned about giving and receiving and what's happening here in Kissimmee, but we're also concerned and thinking about how are we producing? Where are we going? Where are we sending this money? Who are we investing in? I don't know about you, but it's like, it's like although the community blesses new birth, new birth is blessing the community. Even with your life, think about your, your life individually. Although you say that this community is worth investing in, I don't know about you, but this community called New Birth is blessing me in my life. And, and, and here's, here's, here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say so clearly, and this is my next point, that the enemy wants you to believe that when you're giving, you're losing. The enemy has confused believers that it's only about what you get and not what you give because once you give, you are losing. But I, I hear the Holy Spirit combating that idea because, man, wouldn't it be so selfish if our church just focus on what we're doing here and not what God's trying to do everywhere else? Jesus says to Judea, Samaria, anybody take the next step, you know this verse, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're not only, we don't only have a plan for local missions, we have a plan to go abroad, to go overseas. And that's what the stewardship, come on, thank God for our board and our administrators and our finance people, that you pay their salaries, that they literally plan and expand the kingdom of heaven. But wouldn't it be so selfish to really believe that lie from the enemy, that when I give, I'm losing. That when I give my time to the church, I'm losing. That that when I show up to Hope Group in the middle of the week, I'm losing a night of my week. What a lie from the enemy. I know, I know in many ways, like these days, pandemic, right? We're woke, right? Showing up could be a risk. But man, in what world ever in the kingdom is sowing a bad idea? In what world do we live in that Christians are starting to believe that it's safer not to spread the gospel, but to keep the gospel? When that's our great commission, it's not the great suggestion. It's to go, not to stay. It's to reach, not to keep. And in Proverbs 20, verse 4, Proverbs is a wisdom literature book. So it's all about wisdom. It's like war behind the word, read between the lines. That's what's going on in Proverbs. And it says, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. So now Proverbs is telling me, yeah. Believer, it's not only what you get because, listen, when you're too lazy to sow in harvest season, you won't have anything to reap. And I got an image when the Holy Spirit led me to this verse because I wonder how many people were given a gift from God, were given talents from God, were given a blessing from God. How many people were given something from God and, and what they do, they take it and they sit on it. And they sit on the very thing that God's called you to invest. And they sit on the very thing that God's calling you to give. I tried to jump the stage last week. I almost ripped my pants. So I'm going to go up the, the steps. <laughs> How many people, turn to SpongeBob over here. How many people are sitting on the thing that's actually going to unlock them to reap in another season? And, and, and this is how the Holy Spirit said, told for me to say it is this next idea. I cannot reap. Would I refuse to sow? I wonder if there are believers in this room 
that are looking at everybody reaping what they've sown and wondering, God, why isn't it my turn? Here's my question. What did you sow? Because listen, if you've been blessed, if God's provided for you, if God does anything in your life, you know that when you are sowing, you don't have that much opposition from people. But man, when you're reaping, it's so much easier for your neighbors to judge you. It's when you're receiving something. It's when you are literally in the harvest that the farmers around you go, man, what's going on with them? It's like when you, when, when you invest in your children and your children are now in the ministry and your children are serving and, they're, and they love the Lord. It's almost like people look for any moment for them to slip up. It's like people look for any moment for them to mess up. And they're like, That's what they're no, no, no. But they didn't see those nights that you were praying for your children. They didn't see the nights that you laid hands on them. I'm going to get your hand off me. No, 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 son. I am praying the preacher out of you. I'm praying the leader out of you. I'm praying the servant out of you. They will judge your harvest season because they didn't see your sowing season. So if you've been sowing, I'm telling you, reap and harvest is on its way. But Proverbs calls the person who just expects harvest to come without sowing, he calls him a fool. I'm not calling you a fool. I'm just saying sometimes we can be foolish to believe and judge our neighbors for sowing and reaping. I cannot reap what I refuse to sow. I love Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. It's a good reminder that my next idea is this, that God created everything. So like this thing that he's given me, my family, my time, my schedule, my life, my gifts, my resources. God created it, right? So isn't God the blessed one? For God so loved the world that he gave. If God never gave, did that mean that he wasn't blessed? No, he, he was blessed. I'm glad he gave because now I'm blessed. But I got to remember, he's the blessed one. I don't know about you. I need God's grace in my life. I need his favor in my life. Because he created everything. I want you to think about that. Can you whisper the word everything? Everything he created. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. He's created everything. Like we, we believe the Bible, right? The Bible says that God formed me in my mother's womb. We wonder why the enemy is coming at wombs. Because this is where God begins creation and formation. He formed me. He created me. Your hair color, I know it's nice, baby girl, but that's God's idea. Your nice eyes, your height. Oh, God, I need a bit more inches. Your life, your gifts, you think that people are just drawn to you? God gave you that gift. You think you think people just, oh, like, have you ever heard this from someone? I don't know what it is, but something just attracted me to you. You're like, oh, my God, is it my attraction? It has to be this new cologne I just got. It has to be the J-Lo. I knew, I knew it was J-Lo. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was that Kim K new cologne that's just attracting people to me. Nope, that's a gift that God has given you of leadership. That's a gift. It's not even yours. When you look in the mirror and you like that smile, hey, that's God's smile. He designed it. 
He created everything, everything about you he created. So you know what that means, next point, that God owns everything. And you're like, what's the difference? Big difference. Because the people that built your house don't own your house. We know that for sure. There's difference between building and owning. Even if I build something, it's not mine. It's like the church. Like we help build this church. We pour our life into it. But it doesn't, it's not my church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And upon this rock, he's going to build his church. Jesus isn't building my church. Jesus didn't say, you'll build my church. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He didn't say, you will build my church. He takes all responsibility. I will build my church. And I know sometimes church people can get really big-headed to thinking that if I wasn't in the picture, this church would fall away. No, no, no. This is the church of Jesus Christ. If I've seen anything in six years, is that people can come, people can go, but Jesus will always be in his church. It's his bride. He's coming back for his bride, not my bride. So he created it, and he owns it. And I want to pivot to this moment right here. I want to kind of go to this side and, and, and pivot to this idea that, like, I know some people are in financial debt. And I want to prophesy this over you this morning. This will be the year that you take big steps into financial freedom and to financial, I mean, I'm, I'm talking, anybody receiving that, that you get out of debt this year. I really believe it. Like, this is the year that we're going to make some moves and. But speaking on the topic of debt, if God created and he owned, what does that mean? Next point is that we are in debt to God. He don't owe me nothing. That's really helping a lot of new Christians. Because a lot of Christians getting saved today are so entitled. I'm not picking on you, I'm picking on your neighbor. A lot of people are so entitled to say, but what is God going to do for me? And what is God going to say today? And what's going to happen now? And now, instead of God being so grand and like me agreeing with his will, his will, his will, he's turned into a vending machine. If I pop in enough prayer, fasting, and seeking, then I'll get the exact drink that I want. God's ways are so much bigger than our ways. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And this, this idea keeps us humble. Because if I'm in debt... I got to be careful how I talk to people I'm in debt to, right? You know what I'm saying? If you ever owe a friend some money and they love you, sometimes they'll expose you. Hey, bro, you got that gas money? Hey, bro, you got that $150 I lent you two months ago? It's like, you right. You right. I'm sorry. But I'm just like, you ain't going to put me on blast like that, bro, my bad. And I wonder how many people are their prayer life is all about them. And God's like, hey, I gave you everything you have. You're praying for a new car, for the car that I blessed you with. You are in debt to me. Get this equation right. Because my life is alone from God. I had no say in my creation. I, this is why with modern science, more atheists are turning to Jesus. Because we're getting closer to the fact that this is all designed. And we're also battled with the fact that we had no say in our creation. No say in our existence. So someone designed me on purpose for a purpose. My life is alone from God. I'm breathing borrowed breath. This breath that I have, it's borrowed from God. Can we all take a breath? We did it in the last service, and really I felt just like so much freedom happening. When's the last time you breathed? It's not even my message. When's the last time you breathed? I'm playing. But can we breathe together right here? Uh, it's just going to be like an inhale, exhale on the count of three. All right. Some guys, 
you got to start breathing. And I know it from my life because I was talking to my wife and I'll be out of breath. She's like, bro, just breathe. I'm like, okay. And the count, get ready. One, two, three. Inhale. Exhale. Isn't that so great? Hey, by the way, how much did you pay for that breath? Did we pass a bucket for that breath? No, we didn't. That was a free breath. And that breath was given to you by God. Because in the foundations of the earth, God created everything, but then he created man. He took dust from the earth. He formed Adam. And what did he do? He breathed life into him. He gave breath into Adam's lungs. Theologians and scholars say that this, this breathing of it was so close and so intimate. It was like a kiss from a father to a son. It was just so close and just... So friends, when you worship God, you're giving back his breath. When you sing praises to God... You are giving breath back to him. You wonder why God cares about if you're cursing or not. You wonder why God cares if you're putting people down or not. You wonder why God is concerned about gossip. Because why would you take the breath that I've given you and use it for negative things? Why would you take the breath that I get? It's not your breath. I'm not going to put people down. I'm not going to talk about somebody. I'm not going to literally destroy someone's life. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to do all that. Why? Because my breath isn't mine. I'm in debt to the God that created breathing. And every time I use my breath, God, would you bless my mouth and tame my tongue like James says. God, so if God created everything, God owns everything, here's the... A pivot point that I want to just land on real quick is that God delegates responsibility. Because remember, because God gives responsibility, that gives us the, the weird idea that we're the creators and we're the owners. Don't let the responsibility God gave you confuse you into thinking that you are the manager, the owner, you're, you're the CEO. No, no, he's the head honcho. But he gives us responsibility. It's like when you give your son three bucks. He goes, son, he's like, oh, I'm going to go buy candy. He's like, wait, I'm concerned on how you manage this. Don't think that because I gave it to you that it's yours. I'm concerned about how you manage it. God delegates responsibility. We see this in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. It says, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air. He brought them to the man. So God brings all the men, all the animals, sorry, to Adam so that he would name each one. Time out. And this is what the Holy Spirit was ministering. He brought me to Genesis to show that our God is so good that although he created everything and he owns everything, he still invites us to be a part of this process of dominion and power. So God brings all the animals to Adam and Adam's like, wow. Don't be confused. Those animals aren't listening to you. They're listening to God. That's the problem with Lucifer. He thought he was getting the worship. No, he was just the vessel. And, and Adam's there, and he's like, God's like, all right, Adam, name away. And he's like, oh, that big old thing there, that's an elephant. That long neck right there, that's a giraffe. He saw a hippo, he was like, hippo. That makes sense. He saw a fish, he was like, fish. He saw a fish with a long nose, he was like, swordfish. Shark, great white shark. I mean, this blew me away. Why? Because even though God created everything, he brings us in to be creative. Even though God owns everything, he brings us in 
and gives us responsibility. Isn't that amazing? Like God didn't name all the animals. That's crazy. God said, Adam, you name the animals. Let me show you how this thing works. Because even though I'm giving you authority, that doesn't mean I'm less powerful. No, when I give away influence and when I give away authority, I become more powerful. I'm giving you power. I'm giving you responsibility. Next point is that God has authority and gives Adam responsibility, which leads me to my next idea, that I am not an owner, I am a manager. So when you look at your bank account and you smile or you frown, that's not yours, friends. All good things come from God. It's not yours. I'm not an owner, I'm a we say it again? I'm a manager. Your family, I know you chose your wife, or maybe your wife chose you. My wife chose me. I married up, all right? I'll say it. It's like way harder than I am. Anyways, you made your kids. You chose when you are going to have kids. You made, you made that decision. They're not yours, friends. They belong to Jesus. Your car, this is why we pray over cars. Because although you got it, we say, God, this is your car. Why do we know our homes? Because our homes are nice and they're cool and the grass is cut. Hopefully, if anything, call Rio. Uh, you know, it's like, but this isn't my house. God, this is your house. I don't own anything. I am just managing what you've given me, friends. I hope we change the perspective because there's an entitled generation. There's an entitled cloud over believers today that we are God. And no, we're just responsible with what he's given us. Those children are mine. Those are God's children. And I am to raise them in righteousness. This house isn't mine. This is God's house, and God does what he pleases with this house, this car, this body of mine. The Bible says the body is the temple. That's my horn elite. Just kidding. The Bible says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So even my body, right? How many, I don't know if you heard this from someone. This is my body. I do what I want with my body. No, you don't. Not if you believe in Jesus because this is his temple. Your body's not even yours. I'm sorry. It belongs to God. And this blessing, whatever it is, put blessing and, and put that in any category, anything good and perfect. Anything that's great, anything that's awesome. That's not, it's given to you by God. My next point is that the enemy is really good at painting the wrong picture. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I think the song we're singing is just really good the, the last one we just did and please get up here and run me off the stage I'm five minutes under but I, I want to give you this that the the enemy I think it's important listen friends we don't take every Sunday to talk about the devil he's under our feet y'all can I say that again for the people in the back what does that mean I don't know we don't take too much time to focus on what the devil's doing I'd rather be more concerned about what God's trying to do in my life because the devil is under my feet I'd rather be focused on what I'm gaining and what God's doing than what I've lost and where I've been. But the truth is that the enemy's really good at painting the wrong picture. That when you're giving and when you're sowing, and, and, and come on, put anything in that category, he makes you believe that you're losing. He wants you to think you're losing. 
You know, I can imagine Judas, right? One of the disciples, we know Judas, if you don't, he's a disciple of Jesus for three years. And he ends up selling Jesus out to the authority of the day. Sells him out. He betrays Jesus. And listen, for every leader in here that people have walked out on you, listen, people walked out on Jesus. People that spent three years with Jesus, they still betrayed him. So we don't let people walking out of our life dictate our future. We just understand that that's their vision. Walks away from Jesus and he betrays Jesus. I can imagine the enemy painting a picture in the believers' minds and the disciples' minds. Did you know that really all the disciples, majority, scattered when Jesus was taken? These are the people that saw Jesus calm the waters, raise the dead. Literally, they were there for all of the miracles. Yet, when Jesus was taken, the majority of them fled away. They walked away. So I guess, I guess it's over. And I can imagine on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when Judas sells out Jesus, I can imagine that the disciples were believing the lies of the enemy that this was over. This is done. We're losing. I can imagine... When Jesus is taken by the soldiers, put into shackles and chains and dragged to prison, the enemy made people believe that it was all over. Or, or what about in the moment where they persecuted Jesus? You know, because before they killed him, did he know they whipped him? They had him chained up in the middle. There were people laughing and people talking, and that's when... They take a, a, a thorn bush and they create a crown. Look at this guy. Look at this Savior. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And he's chained up. I can imagine the enemy. Look, look. He's losing blood. They're whipping him. And his flesh is being torn out. I can imagine disciples shivering and just going nuts. Like, this is a loss. Like, Three years with this man. It was a good run. But now it's over. And I'm sure the disciples and the people watching saw the stripes on his body and said, man, that looks painful and that looks like a loss. But friends, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, the prophet says that by his stripes we are healed. We are healed. So you know what? We get to look at the stripes on Jesus' body, and we don't conclude loss. We conclude healing. We don't conclude that it was done, though. We say, God, by his stripes here today in 2021, I can be healed from this, from X, from Y, from Z. Man, I can imagine that looked like a loss. I can imagine that looked like it was done. Giving his flesh so that others can be healed. But you know what, God? God always plays the long game, amen? Can I get an amen? Come on. What does that mean? That, you know, you don't have to repay people evil for evil. But that God says vengeance is mine. Play the long game. Past this world and its existence, people will get what they've sown. People will get what they've done to you. But vengeance doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. God plays the long game. He plays the long game. So even if you're sowing in this world and you're not seeing it, and you're seeing evil people succeed. And you're seeing, you know, people just malicious 
go great. Don't judge them. Don't wish harm upon them. Don't feel like God's forgotten about you. Our God is playing the long game. And by those stripes on his body, today we are healed. It's the long game. But at the same time, I can imagine Jesus being dragged on the cross. I can imagine Jesus taking his cross, stumbling on the way. The enemy painting the picture that, 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 that it's over. I, I can imagine, I can imagine, I can imagine. Come on, picture it, that, that Jesus taking his cross. I can imagine once the first nail went into his hands, he was like, it's done. He, he can't go nowhere. The soldiers, as Jesus hung there, the soldiers thought to themselves and they said out loud, hey, if you're a king, if you're God, why don't you call on angels to set you free from this? What are you doing? There goes the second nail, the third nail. He's hanging there. You know what Jesus is doing while he's on the cross? He is praying. He said, God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing to me. They don't know what they're doing to me. And I can imagine the enemy just laughing at God and laughing at Jesus. But friends, although he died that night, although he did die, Jesus did die, that's not a faith thing. That's historical facts. Changed our history, B.C., A.D. But friends, on the third day, on the third day, it was a quiet Saturday, but on Sunday morning, the tomb was rolled away and he walks out with all power in his hands I can imagine Jesus saying you thought I lost you thought it was over you thought me losing my life was the end of it but no I lost my life so that you can have life I gave my life so that you can have freedom can have power can have authority I give my life for you, for you.